Hi, everybody. David Noor back with you for another episode of our Intelligent Growth live stream with my business partner, Jen Cords. Hello, Jen. Hi, Noor. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Good to see you. More importantly, it's good to be back. I'm back with a vengeance. <laughs> Took some time off, went across the world, Australia, and, and uh, Bali was fantastic, and just good to be back. I, I know it's a sickness. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking professional help for it when you miss working. But uh, but I'm back. It's good to be back in familiar surroundings, and excited to continue uh, continue the series. Uh, for our audience, if you're uh, haven't listened to previous episode, uh, we love to do uh, periodically mini series. We just wrapped up a, a great one, uh, and we also repurpose these live streams into our podcast. So wherever you consume podcasts, just look up Intelligent Growth. Uh, Jen and I are on every Tuesday at noon Eastern, and uh, we've got some great guests coming up. Uh, I've been interviewing uh, chief marketing, chief revenue officers, also have a Forbes leadership column. Jen and I have been talking to a number of executives to our global research on the customer lifecycle journey. So a lot of great things coming up here. We're also uh, very active in our private online community called the North Forum. So if you just go to norgroup.com slash forum, uh, Jen's there, runs a RevOps practice uh, uh, group where we share ideas and perspectives and presentations and research that both we're doing, but also really interesting data that we find by others. Uh, I also share relationship economics tips and techniques and all kinds of other good content there. So we we'll hope you'll continue to come and join us in those places. Uh, as mentioned, uh, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen as well. Um, this episode is focused on total relevant market, TRM, versus total addressable market, TAM. Jen, why is this an important topic? It's important because, especially in economic uncertainty, you need to focus on the right people and talking to the right people so you're not spending cycles talking to people that either never have interest to buy from you or don't have the authority to. So it's it's taking what you're already, your ICP and getting really focused on who it is and what it is that you want to be talking about. So as evident by the, the title of this, this uh, live stream, Intelligent Growth, we want to drive efficiency. We want to drive effectiveness. Uh, I've always believed to build on your comment in uncertain economic times, you're going to get fewer at bats. You're going to have fewer opportunities to really build deep, meaningful relationships and really focusing and prioritizing becomes really, really important. So, so again, if you're not familiar with our work, um, you know, this idea of intelligent and profitable growth, we believe is even that much more important in the subscription economy. We have not only a number of clients that are in the SaaS business, but a lot of mature enterprise clients that traditionally have sold very CapEx intensive businesses that are increasingly looking for OpEx opportunities. How do we build that subscription model? How do we build that recurring revenue model? How do we build a ecosystem that continues to earn that customer's business and that deepens that relationship on an ongoing basis? As such, Jen and I talk a lot about it. As you heard earlier, we're, we have a global research study right now going on focused on this idea of a customer lifecycle journey. And the reason we call it a maturity model is because we found 
different companies, this intellectually would make sense, are at different phases of maturity throughout each of these stages. Jen, for our audience who may, is not, who may not be as familiar with this, just share a little about this uh, life cycle journey model and why it's important. Absolutely. So for those who can actually see our screen, uh, the life cycle journey maturity model is intentionally designed as an infinity loop because when you've done this well and you've created uh, value for your customers, they're either going to become an evangelist or a raving fan for you and refer other business and or they'll deepen the relationship with you. So they don't ever really fall out of this this uh, journey. And each one of these phases, the left-hand side of the, the infinity loop is related to marketing initially and then sales. And then the middle is mainly sales. And then the right side is sales customer success. And so each one of these phases seamlessly should transition from one to the other. And you can think of it as a baton pass or a relay race. And you want to make sure that at each point you're transitioning both the information and the, and the customer frictionlessly through so they don't have to repeat themselves and they continue to get value at every single touch point. And again, for our audience, the research that we're doing on, on strengths and areas for improvement, you know, if you haven't done this, it'd be, and I can see that the, the model, it'd be really useful to think for yourself and your, your team, your organization, where are you guys really strong? Is it awareness and engagement evaluation? And are you really good at helping them buy in the purchase phase? Or is it really the adoption, creating material impact in their business and they're really creating, as Jen mentioned, evangelists, not just customer satisfaction, not just customer advocates, but flag-carrying evangelists out of your customers in your business. So with that customer lifecycle journey, we're fascinated by you know, the research we continue to find. Pricewaterhouse you know, does an annual global CEO survey and they highlight that most CEOs believe the threats to their top line to be their biggest concern. And, uh, you know, with geopolitics, with inflationary pressures, with the continued talent kind of challenges, and a lot of people that have left the workforce. I recently heard a CEO describe pre-pandemic, we were really struggling with work-life balance and a big focus was on work. Post-pandemic, we're still struggling with work-life balance, but a big focus has become life. And, and more and more executives and boards and investors are trying to get the work component back. So with that, we've also found that a great deal of uh, enabling of that enterprise growth, in fact, comes from strategic relationships, both inside and outside the organization. And there's a ton of, McKinsey talks about experience-led growth, uh, a way to create value through those connections, through employees and a sense of belonging and customers uh, who believe, you get me, you get my challenges, you get my opportunities. And as Jen and I have often talked about, nobody's spending time, effort, money on RevOps because they're bored and they have nothing else to do or they have nothing else to invest in. The key is the critical investments along that journey to really optimize this. Jen, uh, top line growth challenges, opportunities, impact of RevOps on organizations. Well, I'd say to your point that one of the biggest challenges is the, the work-life blending and creating a good relationship with your team members and empowering them to do 
more with the less that they have. And that's really the impact that RevOps can contribute is by creating better alignment between the people on different teams, but then also the technologies that each of those teams need to work with, and then provide insights into what's working, what's not working in a way that actually impacts the business quicker than just doing a lot of stuff. I want to, I want to double click on uh, something you're really passionate about, which is RevOps done right should dramatically transform the organization blank fill in the blank it should so revops done done right or in its truest form is actually reimagining the way to the go the way the go to market function works and is aligned within the organization so it's actually taking op- the operations function out from being just viewed as tactical get things done execution to actually more of a strategic role and giving them a seat at that table to help with the planning, to help with the direction, to set long-term path on what technologies are brought into the stack or removed from the stack. But it, and then it also helps with the training and enablement. So RevOps done right, not only aligns people in a different way, it then aligns the processes as well as provides the training and enablement that everybody needs to stay up to date with the business, but then it also aligns the technology. So it removes the competing agendas of each of the functional groups and making marketing sales, customer success, really one unified front. And so they all can move forward together. So why do organizations keep adding a sales administrator to just run Salesforce? And then we've got marketing ops that, that deals with the marketing automation stuff. And then uh, customer success, I don't know what that is, but our churn number is still kind of high. Why can't we fix that? Uh, a lot of organizations still today are just adding operations functions within the, the various departments because it's easier and they need solutions for their specific people. And they don't, they're not looking holistically across the entire organization. So one of the other trends that we've seen within the industry is just adding a RevOps function, which sits potentially outside of sales, marketing, or customer success. We've seen it report up to finance. We've seen it be housed in IT. Neither of those lend itself well to actually doing RevOps in a strategic way. And and so that's why I said you have to realign the way the operations function works to then unify those processes. Because as you saw in our infinity loop, there aren't starts and stops to it. It's a continuous journey from one to the next. And marketing uses the same tools, some of the same tools that sales uses. And sales uses some of the same tools that customer success is going to be using and creating that 360 degree view of the customer or the prospect really is absolutely essential to knowing what they need and meeting them where they are to align how your organization is selling to how they're wanting to buy. You and I have talked about it on previous episodes that organizations need to do a better job of helping the prospect see themselves in your solution versus talking about yourself. Everybody likes to talk about themselves, but it's really your job to help the customer see themselves using and leveraging your solution. 
I know we're doing, uh, I think it's the next episode of this on RevOps governance, and I can't wait for that conversation. But <laughs> so where, where should RevOps be organizationally structured in the organization? So you don't believe it should be under IT or finance. It's scattered today between marketing, sales, and customer success. Organizationally, structurally, where should RevOps be? In an ideal world, RevOps actually would be a equal department that would sit outside of sales, marketing, and customer success. And it would literally be your RevOps department because your IT function is more worried about your password resets, your security of your technology stack. They don't really want to do user admin. They don't necessarily know how to do system admin type stuff. That's not what IT folks generally want to deal with. And by removing it from those various departments, you remove those competing agendas. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an ops person focused on each one of those functions. I'm just saying that the operations teams, all of them really should be consolidated and put under one leader so they can then be the strategic partner and have those conversations at an executive level with the CMO, CRO, and CCO so they can help elevate what those functions are doing versus being reactive and just the execution side of Love those it. functions. Love it. So for our audience, tune in next next episode. We're going to talk about <laughs> RevOps governance and how to get, get this part right. So in terms of value creation, we believe this idea of intelligent and profitable growth is as relevant, whether you're expanding, you're launching something, you're you know, VC and PE funded, or you're you know, we don't know when the IPO market is going to come back. So the path to exit as it is integration and optimization. We're doing a lot of really interesting work and M&A opportunities where think about it. You're bringing two different instances of Salesforce or this, you know, the, the company we're acquiring uses Marketo and we're a HubSpot shop. How do you integrate those? And, you know, again, doing that efficient, efficiently and effectively is, is obviously a big part of that growth strategy. Or you're trying to transform the business. Uh, you're really, really looking at your business model, go-to-market strategies. We believe this idea of intelligent and profitable growth is as relevant in any of those paths to value creation, if you will. So the focus in this episode, as we've teased you all along, is this idea of, and, and you hear a lot about total addressable market. I remember MBA class, you know, really talking about, well, that's great that, you know, your whole world is all of this. What part of that is relevant to you? So what is the serviceable or the relevant addressable market? And even within that, what part of that do you believe you can get? Jen, talk about why is this you know, a friction, a point of friction, and why do people talk about, look how big our market is, where in reality, it's just a fraction of what, what is really relevant to them? Well, I think a lot of organizations focus on the total addressable market because it, it's the easiest one to slice and they either haven't taken the time to clearly def define their ICP, both who they should be talking to, but also who they shouldn't be talking to. So figuring out what their actual relevant market is, is much more difficult. And so they just focus on the one metric that's really easy to identify and uncover and, and, tag within whatever CRM system that they may be leveraging. 
So I, I like examples. I like specificity and talk about a recession proof business for our audience. Here you go. I, I like examples. So if you're in the market for the coffins or if you're in the coffins business, um, I, I love this that I found. So my potential addressable market, as you can see in this example, is everybody in the world who dies. And let's just say that's a $138 billion market. Well, if you walk into any investor or you walk into any credible person, they're going to say, well, that's great. That's everybody who needs a coffin, but not necessarily your addressable or what's really going to be able to uh, be relevant to your world. So the TAM in this case becomes, okay, who's buried? Who needs a coffin? And just in the US, now it's a fraction of that. And if you just do a, a cost per coffin of 2,500 bucks a year, now you get about a 2.7 billion. So you can see it, you know, the, the aperture is tightening on where should we focus? Where is the most relevant conversation for us? But you can't stop there. So Jen, talk about once I have my TAM, then what's really relevant and what, what I can service is even a tighter version of that. It is. Yeah. Cause just because the, the market is there, they don't, they won't necessarily be looking for your solution or they're not ready for your solution. And so finding that, that serviceable, serviceable, available market or the relevant market is really important because those are the people that you want to focus your messaging towards. And I see a lot of sales organizations and some of the work I've done for clients in the past is their sales teams have territory set up by total addressable market, not the total relevant market. And so in a way, you're almost setting your sales rep up for, I don't want to say failure, but not as much success as you they could have because they may be talking to people that they shouldn't be talking to or aren't ready for your solution. So really niching down, if you will, on who it is you're talking to will help the effectiveness of everything that you're doing from the marketing to the sales to your customer success. So, so I'm going to use a sales example and I'd love to hear a marketing example from you. I recently worked with a CRO who had just exactly that, that the sales team was focused on a geographic territory. And the conversation went as, you know, love Arizona. Um, you know, we both have family and friends out in Arizona, but, there's a reason that rep isn't doing as well as the one in Manhattan because the geography is so condensed. The Manhattan guy can walk down the street and call on 50 accounts in three buildings. So, so we're better off putting more reps in that kind of geographically condensed major market than we are a whole bunch of land. Um, so, so we recalibrated the sales coverage, if you will, for where their serviceable or relevant addressable market was. What's an example of a marketing focus in that scenario? So very similarly, when wh whatever your solution is, like if it's geographically driven, so for example, you can sell in the United States, but in other countries there's red tape or governmental contracts or something else that you don't have you're going to need like, yes, that that's an addressable market that fits your ICP. Those are people who could potentially buy from you, but because of all of the excess 
paperwork, if you will. It just doesn't make sense because that's going to be a very long tail transaction. On the marketing side, you're going to want to focus on the people that you can actually impact and drive traffic to the website and drive clicks and form fills and meetings for the sales team. And so by focusing where you're sending your marketing actually helps drive funnel that's impactful versus people potentially kicking the tires or they're really interested in your solution, but they can never buy because of all the red tape. Another example that we've come across in the past with some of our client work is uh, in the developer space, a lot of developers in general, computer programmers who are in university, they go and leverage some of these tools that are out in the market because it's part of their curriculum. But those people today are never going to be able to buy a enterprise level agreement for you, or they're never going to buy the premium level service because that's not what they need today. Yes, it's great that they want to learn about your solution, but at the end of the day, they need a path or you need to put them towards a path that's more self-service and not spending the cycles on them uh, in areas that that just doesn't make sense. This also highlights for me a, a, a recent client example that will go unnamed of how they were prospecting JP Morgan in Singapore and not calling on JP Morgan in their backyard in New York City. So so yes. another another check mark on how 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 clean data is critical within the RevOps world. Well, well, to that point, it's also helpful to know your business units and actually break down and tag those appropriately because JP Morgan is a huge company. So they actually may have key decision makers in Singapore that could buy your solution. At the same time, they have them as well in, in New York. And so really, if you're doing an ABX type approach, You'd want your sales reps to have similar tactics to approach both different organizations because they could be buy both places could buy from your organization, but at different levels. And just because they buy in Singapore doesn't mean it's automatically going to transition to the New York office and vice versa. So really focusing and really having the total addressable market and even your relevant market tagged appropriately within your organization is going to be important because then you're going to have the right rep talking to the right group to be able to make that transaction happen. Yeah. Just to finish up this example that the audience is looking at. So, so now the relevant market for, for, uh, for this coffin sales in us becomes where we have distribution. So you can see the distribution partners really reach about 25% of the U S market. So even of the 2.7 billion total addressable, we can really service about 675 million realistically and again investors appreciate conservative you know conversations if we can address 10% of that market that means it's a 67 million dollar sum serviceable and obtainable right versus the 138 billion you know everybody's going to die everybody's going to want a coffin story and and the reason this is you know really important I want to talk about is Again, relevancy and credibility and efficiency of that conversation and the focus of limited resources on the best possible relationships for us to engage. You were going to add? I was. I was just going to say that investors and boards do want to have your specificity. So it's always great to get down to the, the very bottom number here of the actual addressable, serviceable, relevant people that you want to talk to and about. At the same time, it that credibility 
uh, gets deepened or reinforced when you have all these other numbers. So don't just draw a line in the sand and, and choose, really use the data to drive the conversation and, and talk about the conversion points at each one of these and kind of give the logic behind how you arrived at these numbers because the, the board and, and your investors are really gonna appreciate that. And they could have insights that you don't as to how to expand that relevant and addressable market. And, and the reason for audience, again, the, the, the reason this total relevant market is, is critical is think of efficiency. Think of, I've got limited resources. I've got, you know, limited bandwidth, limited capacity, limited team. It's not a bottomless pit. So if I want to drive growth intelligently and profitably, um, we like the go-to-market operating model as one example of total relevant market. And you can see their rest of their uh, kind of operating system attributes, if you will, but it's all about really focusing and intelligently focusing on that ICP. As Jen mentioned, you know, how well do we know them? How well do we compare them to others we've been successful with? How well can we gather intelligence on their needs, their interests, their buying behaviors? And how do we implement a systematic discipline approach that says, here's the lowest hanging fruit. Here's where we should focus on. Here's where we have the best chance to address the problems those personas are having. And that's where our messaging is really, really going to resonate. Jen, comment on this? I would agree wholeheartedly. And, and like we mentioned earlier in, in this episode, as well as in other episodes, knowing who it is you want to talk to is really important, but also identifying who it is you don't want to talk to is equally as important uh, for the reasons we've talked about previously. And pulling your competitors out as well is going to help focus what it is you're doing. So you, again, you're not spending cycles on people that are never going to buy. And as you can see, you know, the focus of this identifying, really aligning your best performing segments, customer cohorts. We're going to talk more about that in a second and future possibilities. As you saw in the customer lifecycle journey, the, grow, the, the, the goal is always how do we deepen the relationship? How do we, uh, Randy Seidel, longtime friend, uh, former senior executive at, at HPE, talked about SEAT, sell everything on the truck. How do we deepen the relationship? With that client, how do we continue to add value? How do we build a higher, you know, walls for potential competitors, higher switching cost? Those are all going to come from focus. Just because you can't doesn't mean you should. And the scatter approach increasingly is less popular, less efficient, less productive, less valuable, less intelligent in how you go to market. So, if I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, how do I not just calculate my TAM, but how do I also evolve my total relevant market? Three ways that we believe are really smart to really think about your market. One is this idea of value theory. So focusing on where can we add value and the reasons you want to go capture that market. It's assumptions about what the customer, you know, the problems they're having and their willingness to pay to solve that problem. Uh, one of my favorite examples is you show up and you tell me you've got a fabulous to-do prioritization app and you want me to pay a hundred bucks for it. I'm going to say, that's interesting. 
But you know what? I've got something called a pen and a piece of paper. And that combination pretty much cost me $1.50. So I'm not willing to pay 100 bucks for your better mousetrap because I don't see that exponential value. I see incremental value. So the value theory is all about their willingness to pay to solve that challenge or address that opportunity. The second one is a top-down approach. So what's the highest you know, size estimate possible in the coffin example? Everybody in the world is going to die. And then research, insights, market data on, okay, everybody's going to die. Well, not everybody gets you know, buried in a coffin. Some people get cremated. So then who's going to buy a coffin? That's much more our total addressable market, very much top down. The last approach is bottom up, which is early on, your sales efforts should highlight uh, that target ICP. What problem were they having? Why did they say yes when they could have easily said no or said yes to somebody else? Uh, really dividing your average sales by number of clients, really figuring out what's the the value, the upside potential of this customer, and then dividing the value by the number of clients. So that's another way, bottom up, you can look at some early successes. That's why it never gets easy, but it certainly gets easier the 20th and the 50th and the 100th customer because hopefully you've picked up some recurring, repeatable, predictable attributes that you can build on. Jen, comment on calculating, Tam? Well, I would, just as you were talking about the last one, the bottoms up approach, one of the things that we've seen in a lot of our, our client engagements is the lack of a feedback loop or the lack of uh, sales organization, sales and marketing, really looking at both the reasons why they won as well as the reasons why they lost. And so early, early stage companies, you're trying to literally sell to everybody and gain some of that traction. But to your point, as you sell more and you find successes, try and find the patterns within that, both what is being, what is working and what is not working, because then that'll help you double down on, on the right things. And so creating that feedback loop that gives information about the sales process and who bought back to marketing so they can tighten the aperture on who they're sending messages to is really important to, to get you to that, that sweet spot a lot faster. And, and I think it was in a previous episode, we talked about that feedback loop mechanism is omnipresent in marketing, sales, and customer success. And the best organizations we've seen figure out how to gather those insights from all three and really, you know, think of it as a jigsaw puzzle. I'm getting parts of the market feedback mechanism how do we synthesize? How do we coalesce those disparate inputs into something we can use? So then moving on from total addressable market to total relevant market, we like this approach with, and it's really all is about maturity. And we see this in the customer lifecycle journey and, and the scorecard that we're going to show in a second. Early on, you're looking for problem market fit, and that's the total addressable market. As you transform, and it really is an evolution, as you transform the organization, as you redefine your ICP in many ways, you start to segment. And that's really a much tighter focus on product market fit, where it's the relevant accounts, it's the customer cohorts. So it's not just the total 
relevant market, but it's also the ICP and intent. And Jen, I'd love for you to comment on, on insights I can gather with technology or my tech stack in those. Last but not least is really the platform market fit, which is do the segments and cohorts demonstrate relevant, organized, by product line, by value creation that we can replicate? And when you do that, you really highlight a certain level of maturity in your go-to-market strategy. So Jen, talk about this. Talk about where and how the tech stack could enable this. And why is this such a struggle for so many organizations? Sure. So I think a lot of organizations get stuck between the problem market fit and the product market fit. A lot of organizations, even the product-led growth ones, they don't know how to translate that activity within the platform, especially if they're like a freemium type model where you can try it out like a Dropbox or a GitLab or a GitHub. Like you can use their tools for free. A lot of organizations struggle with how to then translate that and get those people to see the value to then start paying for it. To your point uh, with the pen and paper and the to-do lists, uh, unless the to-do list that's on a digital version is that much better than your pen and paper, you're not going to pay for it. And the free version works and there's free tools on your phone already that work. And so I think a lot of organizations are struggling with that product market fit side. And also we've seen where they, where organizations aren't taking the time to learn what their data is telling them. And so that goes back to the feedback loop and having that 360 degree view of the customer, because then that'll tell you what they're interested in. And so when you look at the data of what content are they consuming, uh, where are they visiting our website, how many people within a certain organization are looking at our website, the, all of those things tell you that they're trying to solve a problem. And what problem are they trying to solve will, will be dictated by what assets they're consuming. And so by actually looking at that intent and looking at the content consumption and the stickiness and where they go within the website environment or the digital environment, that'll actually help inform your sales process of what solutions to actually present for them. And there, like you said, there's technologies that do this. Uh, there's listening tools that can sit on your website. There's uh, content consumption tools that can help you find that binge content uh, behavior. And those things are really key to also anticipate where the person's wanting to go and meet them where they are and get them a solution that they'll be like, yes, aha, light bulb moment. That's exactly what I was looking for. And so putting all those pieces together is, is one of the struggles that we've seen in a lot of our client work. And it really does highlight the maturity of the organization when they can do that. And, and, and for our audience, we're big believers of crawl, walk, run. Early on, you got to get a solid foundation in place. Uh, you've heard the old analogy of building a house on sand versus a, a a solid, you know, rock. So, get the crawl things done and do those really well before you walk, before you try to run, because there's a lot of incredibly powerful technology out there. But if you don't have either the in-house or outsourced resources to not just this is in a field of dreams, build and they'll come. You got to build it. You got to maintain it. You got to optimize it. And that takes time. And that's why this is about 
total relevant market evolution because that maturity, that transformation that's on the screen really does take time. This Jen's comment also really highlights we believe and need to not just define, but continue to refine your ICP. And as Jen mentioned, we believe four different, very complementary, very uh, collaborative teams should be intimately involved in constantly. This isn't a one once and done. This is an ongoing refinement of that ICP, RevOps, product and customer success, marketing and sales. Jen, talk about the activities that are on the on the screen and the outputs by each of those teams that really help tighten this aperture. Yeah, so these four teams working in concert together really help uh, fine tune what that 360 degree view of the customer or prospect looks like. And each one has really critical contributions to it. So obviously RevOps will generate the information and they're the ones that's going to be distilling the information and pulling out the insights. So they, they don't necessarily have a horse in this race other than to get the information and the feedback back to the other teams that they can then take action on. Uh, mark, customer success and sales, those are your frontline uh, contributors to this. They're the ones having the conversations. They're the ones that are going to be able to glean the most information directly from the customer. Marketing also is getting that, but it's almost third party because they're getting the information based off of the person's activity digitally or what they're opening emails or what content they're reading. And so it's not the same as the conversations. And so this entire environment, it's best to set up um, an environment that you can test and you create a hypothesis and you test against it and then you may fine tune along the way. And so we've talked about in a previous episode to fail faster and to create a culture of experimentation. And so it's really important to use the different marketing tools and the sales uh, tools as well as the people to validate the hypotheses that RevOps has come up with. And, and that'll also help move the organization forward uh, in a really positive way. What, what I love, and again, if the audience is watching on the screen, and we'll put just a reminder, copy of this presentation in our uh, NOR forum, norgroup.com slash forum in the RevOps group. What I love about this on the right-hand side is the outputs, where marketing is defining the ICP, RevOps is scoring or building a scoring model for that ICP. Product and CS bring intelligence, bring usage, bring the win-loss and churn data that you alluded to earlier. And sales both accepts it, but also gives you feedback on, yeah, we called on that client or prospect and we leveraged the messaging and we used the competitive scorecard. And here's what they said. And they said, yep, you're exactly right. Or no, you're off the deep end and you don't know about this other company that we're using or we've looked at that, you know, solves exactly a challenge we have in a much cleaner way than you guys may perhaps. So this is really valuable in all four teams collaborating, coalescing their unique lens on the ICP and continue to refine it. So again, for our audience, I'm sorry. Sorry, before we move on from that one, I was also just going to say that this, this uh, chart, if you're seeing it on our screens, also uh, highlights the the, the four distinct teams and how they can work together, um, as, as well as 
Um, where was I going with that? The importance. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's also the importance of um, being a unified uh, motion and having those handoffs between each of the departments be frictionless and passing the, the critical information that they need essentially to do their job. And this alignment of these four teams also changes the conversation from being a, an us versus them. We've talked about it before in past episodes that, well, marketing's generating all this stuff and sales thinks that it's crap and they don't know how to do their job, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's a, it's a us versus them type conversation versus a we conversation. But by having all of these departments in this, this plan and this strategy and this process to define and validate the ICP, it then becomes a we conversation and everybody has a part to play. And if one department or function doesn't contribute in, a, in a, an impactful way, then the rest of the departments also are not going to be successful. So this alignment also helps transition the way your, your organization is structured and the way they think about their jobs. Love that and, and, and very valid. So for our audience, um, again, if you don't know much about our, our focus uh, from our growth strategy, uh, where you know I talk a lot about the, the relationship centricity of the organization, whether it's a speaking or a salon or our strategy visualization work uh, to you know really coaching and development to M&A integration, uh, all the way up to Jen's practice of RevOps uh, from our x-ray to assessments to again, M&A integration, all the way to managed services, we're really excited about this amplified time to impact process that we've come up with. And we believe if you double click on that customer lifecycle journey that you saw earlier, there are 10 unique phases. Uh, and you know we're partnering with a company called Versalytics in developing a scorecard that not only highlights where you are, but in a very prescriptive way, highlights where you need to focus on and where we believe you can dramatically elevate the maturity, the RevOps maturity of your organization. Uh, that also leads nicely into a BizOps practice that we're standing up that really takes data and really brings organizations along a data-driven decision-making, data-driven problem-solving, data-driven communication culture. And, and really brings that data analytics, data visualization to, uh, to its full maturity. And, and Jen and I work collaboratively with our clients and really understanding where they are with their relationships, both inside and outside the organization, uh, and how do we drive that efficiency, that optimized growth. Jen, comments on the growth strategy, RevOps, or BizOps practices? Well, I think uh, everything that we do here at the NOR Group complements each other's practices really well. And whatever it is, the problem that you're trying to solve, we, we may be able to help you or we may be able to connect you uh, to one of our other relationships that could, could provide the service that you're looking for. But one of the things that we want to do uh, always is to provide great value to our, our clients and our prospective clients. And so by having all of this variety, it allows us to help you where you need the help and then grow that relationship uh, into the future should you need additional help. So it's it's a it's a great approach to to uh, how we've worked in the past. 
So on behalf of my partner, Jen Cords, again, thanks for, thanks for joining us today in this episode. We've, we've been talking a lot about your total relevant market versus total addressable market. As a friendly reminder, again, we'll put a copy of this presentation uh, in our NOR forum community. So if you go to norgroup.com slash forum, look for the RevOps group, left-hand side. These are all special interest groups that are there. Uh, we also repurpose this live stream into our weekly podcast. So wherever you consume podcasts, search for Intelligent Growth, and you can find us there. Don't forget next episode, we're going to focus on something that Jen Courts has no opinion or passion about, which is RevOps governance and where it'd be most ideal to position uh, the, the, the operations team to be most effective in the organization. So join us next Tuesday, noon Eastern, for the next episode of Intelligent Growth. Until then, I'm David Knorr with Jen Courts. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.